From the American College of Cardiology, this is Dr. Kim Eagle, ACC.org Editor-in-Chief, with this week's Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly cardiovascular update from ACC.org. Each week, as the editor of ACC.org, I, I like to choose between one and three articles that I think are quite relevant to the practice of cardiovascular medicine. And in this week's view, I've chosen three articles that really relate to prevention and kind of the vascular medicine space. We're going to talk a little bit about the effects of aspirin and the influence of body weight. My second article will be looking at the potential accuracy of pooled cohort risk equations for cardiovascular risk prediction in women. And then the third article briefly will talk about risk prediction models for clinical outcomes in patients who've had carotid artery procedures for symptomatic carotid stenosis. So let's begin. The first article is a really interesting paper published this week in Lancet, and it's studying the effects of aspirin on risk of cardiovascular events and cancer according to body weight. It's an analysis of 10 randomized trials that have looked at varying doses of aspirin, low dose less than or equal to 100 milligrams, higher dose greater than 300 milligrams for primary prevention of cardiovascular events. And they're looking at the effect of body weight and whether body weight affects the ability of aspirin to prevent events. Large number of patients, almost 120,000. The median body weight in the studies was from 132 to 179 pounds. And it's very interesting. Low dose, 75 to 100 milligrams of aspirin, had a reduction in the ability to reduce events at increasing body weight. The benefit was seen in uh, individuals in the 50 to 69 kilogram weight group, but not in patients who weighed more than 70 kilograms. In that group of patients, higher dose aspirin, 325 milligrams or more, did reduce cardiovascular events. Interestingly, the ability of aspirin to affect the long-term risk of colorectal cancer was also weight-dependent. So this study suggests that the benefits of aspirin for primary prevention may be dose-dependent according to body weight. Obviously, this is a meta-analysis, but it certainly raises the question of our current one-size-fits-all approach to aspirin therapy may not be ideal. There's an ongoing study right now called Adaptable that is actually comparing the use of low versus standard-dosed aspirin in at-risk patients that will be very helpful. We certainly need additional uh, studies in the primary prevention arena. Obviously, clinicians hearing this should realize this does not extend itself to secondary prevention studies, and there are trials in that space as well. So the future of aspirin therapy for primary prevention may have to do with estimation of cardiovascular risk, which we do now, better estimation of bleeding risk, then considering the right dose, perhaps dependent on body weight, and then whether or not genetics comes into play is still, I think, a wild card. You've all heard about aspirin resistance, but tying that to the human condition, not in vitro, but the human condition and its effect on risk is remaining to be seen. So much more to come on the role of aspirin in uh, primary prevention. Second article I'm going to talk about was published this week in JAM Internal Medicine by Mora et colleagues, 
And it's the evaluation of our pooled cohort risk equations for cardiovascular risk prediction, looking at the Women's Health Initiative. So this looked at 20,000 women aged 50 to 79 who participated in the Women's Health Initiative and who fit the ability to study 10-year risk prediction for uh, ASCVD. They also looked at the effects of aspirin and statin therapy. And the investigators did something very smart. They also linked these patients to the Center for Medicare Medicaid Services claims so that if individuals had events that they did not report, they were picked up. And they looked at the ability of these prediction models to identify the first ASCVD event. That could be non-fatal MI, coronary heart-related death, or fatal or non-fatal stroke. So 20,000 women, mean age 64, nice diversity in terms of these patients, 41% white, 38% black, 17% Hispanic. Overall, about 6% of the women had events in a 10-year period. And when they looked at the observed versus predicted risk, the observed risk was generally lower. So, for instance, in the group of women predicted to have a 10-year risk of 5 to 7.5%, the observed event rate was 4.4%. And in the group expected to have an event rate of 7.5 to 10, the event rate was 5.3%. Very interesting. When they added the events that got picked up by claims analysis using Medicare data, then the risk prediction models performed better. For example, in the women predicted to have an event rate of 5 to 7.5%, the observed rate was 7.1%. And in the women predicted to have an event rate of 75 to 10%, the observed was 8.3%. So the authors concluded that without the additional surveillance for ASCVD events, the predictive models did not perform as well as hoped that is, they tended to underpredict risk. But when you actually added the claims data, they did much better. Overall, the pooled equations work pretty well, and they work well in women, and it appears that they work pretty well across the risk spectrum, especially when you add the additional surveillance that was gleaned using the CMS claims. So the final article, briefly, I wanted to talk about this paper that came out in the journal Stroke. Prediction Models for Clinical Outcome After Carotid Revascularization, and this was in patients who had had a symptomatic carotid stenosis. So the investigators looked at all the prediction models out there that are available, and they studied a fairly large group of individuals. There were over 2,100 individuals who had carotid artery stenting and over 2,200 individuals who had carotid endarterectomy who had been enrolled in four randomized trials, EVA3S, SPACE, ICSS, and CREST. And they wanted to externally validate both short-term and long-term predictor models for stroke or death within 30 days after the original procedure. The overall event rate was 7.2% after stenting and 3.7% after carotid endarterectomy. And interestingly, of the various models, the short-term models for predicting risk generally performed poorly. The C-statistic 
was between 0.49 and 0.64. The long-term risk models were a little better, but still not great. So this study, in a pretty good number of patients, about 4,400 individuals, suggests that our current risk prediction models for identifying folks who are going to have a stroke or cardiovascular death after a carotid procedure are not very good. We need more data in this space, and carotid disease generally has been understudied, and this is just another example of it. So I thought the three articles together are sort of a mini-symposium in the vascular medicine space, if you will, were interesting and I think provide some food for thought as we think about our patients in risk prediction, the use of aspirin, and risk after carotid procedures. So I want to thank you for uh, listening to Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly cardiovascular update from acc.org, and you can find these articles and, of course, much, much more on our American College of Cardiology website. Find us online or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next week, I hope you have a good one.